Chapter thirty seven of Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter thirty seven. Round the Clock. When the water had fallen so far that we could sit on the ledge, we rested for a few minutes to relieve the long and terrible strain of standing, cramped and chilled as we were. But we soon felt the chill of the water, and stood again till the rocky ledge was quite free. Then we enjoyed a rest, if the word enjoyment could be applied to our wearied, teeth-chattering, exhausted condition. I made Marjorie sit on my lap, so that we could get some warmth together and that she might be saved from the benumbing coldness of the rock. We wrung out our clothes as well as we could, and with braver hearts set ourselves down to the second spell of our dark captivity. Well we knew that the tide had risen higher than the tin box in the corner of the cave, and tacitly put off the moment of assured knowledge. Presently, when the chill had somewhat passed from her, and she shivered less, she stood up and tried to get down the box. She could not reach it, so I rose and took it down. Then we resumed our places on the ledge, and with the box beside us, began to investigate. It was a sadly helpless performance. In the dark, everything seemed strange, with regard to size as well as to shape. Our wet hands could not themselves discriminate as to whether anything was wet or dry. It was only when we found that the box was quite full of water that we realized that there was no hope of light in this quarter, and that we must have patience through the darkness as well as we could. I think that Marjorie cried a little. She covered it up for me in some womanly way, but there are eyes in the soul that can see even through Sumerian gloom, and I knew that she cried, though my senses could detect no sign. When I touched her face, my wet hands and my own wet face could tell me nothing. Still, we were happy in a way. The fear of death had passed, and we were only waiting for light and warmth. We knew that every minute, every breath we drew, the tide was falling, and we knew, too, that we could grope our way through the cavern. We rejoiced, now that there was no labyrinth of offshoots of the cave, and we were additionally glad that our clue, the cord which we had taken with us, remained we could easily pick it up when we should begin to move for there was no stir of water to shift it and draw it away when we thought that a sufficient time must have elapsed even at the deadly slow pace at which it crawled we kissed each other and began our first effort to escape we easily found the cord and keeping hold of it felt our way slowly along the rugged wall i made marjorie keep close behind me a little to the right for I was feeling way by the left hand alone. I feared lest she should get bruised by the jagged rock which protruded here and there. It was well I did so, for in the first dozen yards I got some severe knocks that might have permanently scarred her tender skin. The experience made me careful, however, and after it I took care to feel my way all round before advancing a step. I found by experience that it was the cord which had misled me by straining where there was a curve or an angle, and so taking me close to the rock instead of in the middle of the passage where we had originally dropped it as we went along. When we had passed the first two bends, the anxious time came. It was here that the roof dropped, 
and we did not know if the tide had fallen low enough to let us through. We pushed on, however, into the deepening water, Marjorie still keeping close behind me, though I wished to go on alone and explore. We found that the rock dipped below the water level when we had gone some way into the tunnel, so we came back and waited a good while. It seemed a long, long time. Then we essayed again and found that though the water was still high, there were some inches of space between rock and water. Joyfully we pushed on slowly. Our hearts beat gladly when we could raise our heads from the stooping position and raise them freely in the air. It only took us a few minutes to reach the pile of rocks. Then, holding the cord as a clue to the narrow opening, we scrambled up as well as we could. I helped Marjorie as much as possible, but in this matter she was as good as I was, nay, better, for all her woman's instinct came to aid, and it was she who first got through the narrow hole. Then, very carefully, we climbed down the other side, and, still holding our guiding cord, came at last to the tackle by which we had lowered ourselves into the cave. It was rather a surprise to us when we reached it, for we had expected to see the welcome light through the opening before we had come under it. At first, in the whirl of thoughts, I imagined that something had gone wrong, a rock fallen in, or some sort of general collapse. Then I fancied that we had been tracked down, and that someone had tried to bury us in the cave. It is wonderful what strange thoughts come to one in a prolonged spell of absolute darkness. No wonder that even low-grade, violent, unimaginative criminals break down in the black hole. Marjorie said nothing, but when she spoke, it was evident from her words that she had some of the same ideas herself. There was a tone of relief in her voice which was unmistakable, and which must have followed some disconcerting thought. Of course not. It is only that the lamps and candles have burned out. We have forgotten the long time which has passed, but the lights haven't. It was evident enough now. We had been so many hours in the cave that the lights were exhausted, and at no time was there a gleam of natural light in the cellar. I found it a little difficult to work the tackle in the dark with my numbed hands. Hope, however, is a paramount force, and very soon Marjorie was swinging up through the hole in the rock. I called to her to get light as soon as she could, but she refused point-blank to do anything until I was beside her. When I got the rope around me, we both pulled, and in a very few seconds I too was up through the hole and in the cellar. I found the matches easily enough, and oh, the glorious sight of the light even in this spluttering form. We did not linger an instant, but moved to the door, which I unlocked, and we stepped out and ran up the steps. The lantern on the roof which lit the staircase was all ablaze with sunshine, and we felt bathed in light. For a second or two we could not realize it, and blinked under the too magnificent glare. And then, with inconceivable rapidity, we came back to the serenity and confidence which comes with daylight. In less than a second we were again in the realities of life, and the whole long night of darkness and fear was behind us like a dream. I hurried Marjorie into the room where she had dressed, and where were a store of her clothes and then I proceeded to make up a fire. The chimney-place in the dining-room was made after the old fashion, wide and deep, and had in the back a beautiful old steel rack with brackets on which to hang pots and kettles. I thought this would be the best place for a fire, as it was the biggest in the house, 
so i got from the fuel house off the kitchen an armful of dry furs and another of cut billets of pine which i dumped on top of it a single match was sufficient and in an instant there was a large fire roaring up the chimney i filled a great copper kettle with water and slung it in the blaze and then when i found myself in a cloud of steam from my wet clothes ran into my own room after a hard rub-down which made my skin glow and a wash which was exquisite i put myself into dry clothes when i came back to the dining-room i found marjorie busy getting ready a meal supper breakfast dinner we did not know what to call it one glad moment in each other's arms and then kneeling together we thanked god for the great mercy which he had shown us then we resumed preparations to eat for we were ravenous the kettle was beginning to sing and we soon had hot delicious tea which sent a glow through us there were plenty of cooked provisions and we did not wait to warm them such luxuries as hot food would come into our lives later it was only when we had satisfied our appetites that we thought of looking at the time my own watch had stopped when i had first tried the entrance to the great cave and had been waist-high in water but marjorie had left hers in her room when she had changed her dress for the expedition it was now one o'clock and as the sun was high in the heavens it was p m allowing for the time of dressing and eating we must have been in all in the caves some twelve hours i looked amongst my books and found whittaker's almanac from which i gathered that as the tide was full at half-past six o'clock we must as the normal rise of the tide was between eleven and twelve feet have been immersed in the water some four hours the very thought of it made us shudder with an instinctive remembrance of our danger and misery we drew close together then a heavy sleepiness seemed all at once to settle on us marjorie would not leave me and i did not wish her to i felt as she did that we could not sleep easily if separated so i got great armloads of rugs and cushions and made two nests close to the fire which i built up with solid logs i wrapped her in a great warm plaid and myself in another and we sank down on our couches holding hands and with her head upon my shoulder when i woke it was almost pitch dark only for a slight glow which came from the mass of red embers on the hearth the darkness would have been as complete as that of the cave it is true that the sun-blinds were down and the curtains drawn but even so when there was light outside some gleams of it even if only reflected found their way in marjorie was still sleeping as i stole softly to the window and looked out all was dark the moon was hidden behind a bank of clouds only the edges of which tinged with light showed its place in the heavens i looked at marjorie's watch which she had laid upon the table having wound it up instinctively before the sleepiness had come upon her it was now a few minutes past one we had slept right round the clock i began to make up the fire as softly as i could for i did not wish to wake marjorie i felt that sleep and plenty of it was the best thing for her after the prolonged strain and trial which she had undergone i got ready clean plates and knives and forks and put on the kettle again whilst i was moving about she woke for an instant or two she looked round in a dazed uncomprehending way and then all at once the whole remembrance of the night swept across her in a single bound 
with the agility of a young panther she sprang to her feet and in an instant her arms were round me half protectingly and whole lovingly we had another hearty meal it was picnicking in excelsis and i doubt if the whole world held two happier beings presently we began to talk of the cave and of the treasure and i was rejoiced to find that all the trial and anxiety had left no trace on marjorie's courage it was she herself who suggested that we should go back to the cave and take out what she called those dear little boxes we put on once more our cave clothes which were dry again but which had shrunk lamentably and laughing at each other's grotesque appearance we went down into the cellar again having renewed the lamps and made all safe for our return we took lamps and torches and matches and set out on our quest i think we both felt a little awed we were certainly silent as we crept through the hole over the moraine and took our way up the treasure cave i confess that my own heart sank within me when we saw the ledge with the san cristobal and the infant christ seeming to keep guard upon it and i felt a pity which i had not felt before for the would-be thief olgareff marjorie i think felt the same way as i did for she kept very close to me and now and again held on to me but she said nothing we lit a torch and renewed our search whilst i stooped over the box and took out other caskets containing gems marjorie held the light with one hand while she gathered the little heap of rubies from the first box and put them in the pocket of my jacket her feminine care was shown in her searching for the box and the rubies which had fallen into the water so that none might be lost there were not many of the little caskets it is astounding what a small space will contain a many precious gems they easily fitted into the bag which i had brought for the purpose then we took our way back to the house when we had ascended we put out the lights and locked the cellar we changed our clothes again marjorie putting on her livery it was now nearly four o'clock in the morning and it was time to be getting back to crom End of section 37, recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.